Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host and the senior content director at Word on Fire. Today, we'd like to share with you a sample lesson from a brand new course inside our Word on Fire Institute. The course is taught by Father Paul Murray. Father Paul is a wonderful Irish Dominican, one of the great spiritual masters and authors of today. He's written many fantastic books, including the recent book we published at Word on Fire on St. Catherine of Siena. But this course is titled Prayer, Beauty, Mission, The Hidden Springs of the New Evangelization. Lesson one in this course is titled Falling Toward God, and it builds on the idea that although the spiritual life is typically understood to begin in ascent, as if we're climbing higher up the mountain toward God, in Christianity, it begins with descent, namely the descent of God toward us. As 1 John 4.10 says, God has loved us first. So in this lesson, Father Paul Murray explores the significance of such a beginning. So we hope you enjoy this sample lesson. If you like what you hear, then you're going to want to sign up for the Institute. You can do so at wordonfire.institute. When you do, you'll get access to all the other lessons in this course by Father Paul Murray, along with nearly 20 other courses. Plus, we're going to mail you a welcome package with some books and some other cool items. You'll also get every three months a copy of the Evangelization and Culture Journal, which is just stunningly beautiful and filled with great substantial content. Um, and then finally, you get access to all of Bishop Barron's films and study programs. You can watch them on the computer, your phone, your tablet, your TV, wherever you are. So it's an unbelievable deal. Again, sign up at wordonfire.institute. But for now, enjoy this sample lesson from Father Paul Murray's course titled Prayer, Beauty, and Mission. Enjoy. My name is Father Paul Murray, and I am living and working in Rome, teaching at the Angelicum University. The title I'm proposing for this particular talk and the two short talks to follow will perhaps sound surprising at first. Falling towards God, the spirituality of the downward path. Falling. The journey to God, the spiritual journey, is usually thought of in terms of an ascent, in terms, that is, of an extraordinarily arduous climb up a high mountain. St. John of the Cross, for example, includes the image of the ascent in the title of one of his most famous works, The Ascent of Mount Carmel. In this remarkable treatise, John tells us that a person ascending the Mount of Perfection must be a true athlete of the Spirit and be prepared to confront all kinds of enormous challenges on his way up to the summit. The image of the climb is one which has always appealed to me, in part, I suspect, because the place where I was born in the north of Ireland lies at the foot of a high mountain, and even as a young kid, I used to love attempting the climb. But the image descriptive of the spiritual journey on which I wish to focus attention is the very opposite, at least so it would appear, the opposite of the arduous ascent. It is an image not of going up, but of going down, an image of a humble descent, an image even of falling, falling towards God, the spirituality of the downward path. 
falling is indeed an unexpected image for a talk on the spiritual life. When we hear the word falling, what comes to mind are some of the darker, unhappier aspects of human experience. Falling sick, for example, or falling into sin, or falling into bad company, or falling out of favor. Falling, the word, it has to be said, far from suggesting or evoking the experience of being graced or saved, evokes, if anything, the very opposite experience. So, what connection is there between the idea of falling and the more familiar notion we have of the path to holiness? Perhaps the most immediate value of the falling or descent image is the emphasis it places on our need for God's grace and the importance, therefore, of humility in our relationship with God. You wish to scale a mountain, St. Therese of Lisieux remarks, but the good God wants you to descend. He is waiting for you at the bottom of the fertile valley of humility. The acknowledgement of our human pride and our human failure marks the beginning of every spiritual journey. St. Bernard of Clairvaux openly confesses in one of his best-known works, I can teach you only what I know myself. I could not very well describe the way up. I am more used to falling down than to climbing. I can only tell you what I know myself, the downward path. Progress on this downward path, or the experience of falling, can, I suggest, be thought of as taking place in three stages. First, falling into sin. Second, falling towards grace. And third, falling in love with God. What I propose, then, is to give three talks corresponding to the three falls. And in this first talk, I will focus exclusively on the first stage. Falling into sin, the first stage. This first stage of the downward path is obviously not a stage of grace at all. But given the reality of human nature, it is the inevitable starting point for all of us. Just as we can say that every sinner has a future, likewise we can say that every saint has a past. In the entire Christian tradition, no one has described this beginning stage of falling with more vividness than St. Augustine of Hippo. Recalling with manifest regret his distracted, sinful past, and on his mind, in particular, were the years he spent as a young man living in Carthage, Augustine exclaims in one of his prayers, you were within me, and I in the world outside myself. I searched for you outside myself, and disfigured as I was, I fell upon the lovely things of your creation. And again, in another place, bodily desire like a morass, an adolescent sex welling up within me, exuded mists which clouded over and obscured my heart so that I could not distinguish 
the clear light of true love from the murk of lust. Love and lust together seethed within me. They swept me away over the precipice of my body's appetites and plunged me in the whirlpool of sin. The more strenuously Augustine sought to possess the object of his love and in that way distract himself from the deeper longings of his heart, the more he knew himself possessed and hopelessly by the force of his addiction. For no matter how hard he tried to escape from himself by means of this or that distraction, he seemed fated in the end always to fall back on himself floundering, as he puts it, in a void. In the Confessions, when he describes the depth to which he fell, Augustine seems at times almost to be creating a new and vivid language for the inner movements of the heart, a new vocabulary of soul and psyche. He writes, I carried about me a cut and bleeding soul, that could not bear to be carried by me, and where I could put it, I could not discover. Not in sport and singing, not in the company of a dinner table, not in the delights of the bed, not even in my books and poetry. It floundered in a void and fell back upon me. I remained a haunted spot. This first stage, the first falling, obviously cannot be described, as I've already noted, as a stage in the spiritual life. From our limited human point of view, it refers simply to the sad reality of human corruption and weakness, our falling into sin. But from another point of view, from God's point of view, there is at this stage a falling of much greater importance. Here I am referring, of course, to the downward path taken by the Word of God, the new Adam in the Incarnation, God's humble and saving descent to the level of our deepest need in order to seek out and save those who are lost. So, the first stage in the spiritual life is not so much my rising up to God, but God's humble descent to the place where I am most in need of divine help. This is love, we read in the first letter of St. John. Not so much that we love God, but that God has first loved us. In Rome, where I live, on one of the walls in my room, there is a picture which, in a striking way, evokes that very mystery, God's first contemplation of us. It's an image, a truly beautiful image, of the creation of Eve, as depicted in marble relief on the outside wall of the Cathedral of Orvieto. Eve, in all her loveliness, can be seen emerging from the side of Adam, her head turn to her Creator and God. He, the Logos, has his right hand raised in a gesture of divine power, but his left hand rests with exquisite tenderness on Eve's naked shoulder. 
although Eve is here seen emerging from the side of Adam, so profoundly is she held by the gaze of her creator, it is almost as if she were emerging at that moment out of the creative mind of the Logos, a new and wondrous creature formed first in the imagination of God and then marvelously loved into being. That divine gaze is at the heart of all Christian prayer. All our attempts to turn our minds and hearts to God and all the graces we might receive of contemplation are nothing other than a response to the God who has first turned his gaze on us. And what is wonderful for us to realize is that even though right from the beginning God has been fully aware of the many mistakes we would make in the future and of our countless fallings away from grace, that gaze has never for a moment been deflected. St. Catherine of Siena, profoundly moved on one occasion by the thought of this extraordinary kindness, turns in an ecstasy of gratitude to God and exclaims, O ineffable love, although in your light you saw all the evils that your creature would commit against your infinite goodness, you acted as if you did not see. Rather, you kept your eye on the beauty of your creature with whom you fell in love, as if you were crazy and drunk with love, and through love you drew her out of yourself and gave her being. The text is remarkable, and one reason why it makes such a strong impact is because Catherine speaks here more like a poet than an abstract theologian, and she speaks with passion and with the authority of experience. That explains why Catherine is able to communicate so well the great and saving truths of Revelation. She is an outstanding witness as well as a theologian. Her words and deeds aflame with the truth of what she has seen and heard and touched in the hidden hours of dedicated prayer and contemplation. When we go to God in prayer, we discover not only a new vision of God, but also a new vision of ourselves and a new perspective on our neighbours. In what St. Catherine of Siena calls the gentle mirror of God, we catch a glimpse of the true dignity of our nature. Yes, we are mere finite creatures, but we are creatures infinitely loved and treasured by God. We are not, St. John Paul remarked on one occasion, we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us and our real capacity to become the image of his Son. This teaching about self-knowledge in God, a theme central in the mystical teaching of St. Catherine of Siena, found expression two centuries later 
in a brief, memorable poem by the Carmelite mystic St. Teresa of Avila. Seek Yourself in Me is the title of the work, and St. Teresa's manifest intention is that we should read the poem or listen to it as if the words are being addressed here and now to each one of us by God. Seek yourself in me. It was by love that you were made, lovely and beautiful to be. So, though it's true that you have strayed, upon my heart you are portrayed. Soul, seek yourself in me. In you, dear soul, I am confined. You are my dwelling and my home. And even if one day I find closed fast the portals of your mind, I'll beg for entrance when I come. Oh, search for me not far away, for if you would attain to me, you only need my name to say, and I am there without delay. Soul, seek yourself in me. The fact that as human beings we have strayed from God is indicated clearly in both the text by Catherine and in the poem by Teresa. But in the context of what I have called the initial stage of the downward path, the first stage of falling, what appears of much greater importance than the question of our having fallen into sin is the great and saving fact that God has first fallen in love with us and that in the Incarnation has fallen down to the level of our greatest need as human beings. No wonder, then, we find Julian of Norwich, the great English contemplative, stressing in her work not so much our pitiful falling, but rather what she calls God's falling down to accept our nature. For although the thought of sin does indeed distress her, nevertheless, over and over again, she hears God saying to her, Sin is behovely, sin is necessary, but all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Julian, at one point in her life, puts a question directly to God concerning his compassion for sinners. How is it possible that sinners can be so greatly treasured and loved in spite of all their manifest failures? She writes, I cried within me with all my might, <clears throat> beseeching God for help. God responded to her appeal, but God didn't respond by giving her a rational explanation. It's interesting to note here that in the Gospel, Jesus almost never uses logic or argument when challenged. He speaks to us more like a poet than a scientist. So by way of response, what Julian saw unfolding before her eyes was a kind of visual parable. The vision took the form of what nowadays we'd be inclined almost to call a brief dramatic video. In the story enacted before her eyes, Julian sees a man falling into a pit or a dell. This represents our own falling into sin and also the fall of Adam. 
Standing near to the pit is a figure representing the Lord and Master. What amazes Julian is the look of intense and profound compassion on the face of the Master, even at the very moment when the sinner is seen to fall. She writes, The loving regard which he, the Master, kept constantly on his servant, and especially when he fell, it seemed to me that it could melt our hearts for love and break them in two for joy. The poor fellow who had tumbled down into the pit is now sitting there at the bottom feeling hopelessly guilty. But what he doesn't realize is that the good master has actually jumped into the pit after him, a jump or fall which for Julian represents nothing less than the saving divine descent of the Incarnation. So all the sinner needs to do then is to turn his face around and discover that the compassionate Lord is sitting there in the pit right beside him and is ready to forgive. That God should choose to come down to our humblest need is, of course, what we mean by the mystery of grace itself. Accordingly, allow me to repeat what I've said already and in a number of different ways. The first phase of our spiritual life is not so much what we do, but rather what God in Christ Jesus has already done for us and continues to do here and now. This is love, we read in the first letter of John, and this we can make bold to say in light of the divine mercy revealed in the descent of the word. This is the first stage of spiritual life. Not so much that we love God, but that God has first loved us. Well, we hope you enjoyed that sample lesson from Father Paul Murray's brand new course, Inside the Word on Fire Institute. Again, I encourage you to join the Institute where you'll get access to all the other lessons in this course, along with tons of other courses and books and films and the Evangelization and Culture Journal. It really is an abundance of truth, goodness, and beauty. So join us. Sign up at wordonfire.institute. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Word on Fire show.